Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. I do appreciate that prayer and uh, in particular mention made of praying for our leaders, which is something the the Bible uh, instructs us to do. We're to pray for our leaders. We don't always uh, necessarily not too fond of our leaders at times. And I guess the carnal heart would incline you to say, I'm not too fond of this leader or that leader, so I don't really want to pray for them. But that's an improper attitude. We're supposed to pray for them whether, you, uh, whether you're fond of them or not. And I think that that issue kind of plays into the theme that I want to try to address today. I want to talk about the topic of fear. And preaching on fear seemed a little bit discouraging So I've actually titled this sermon, Fear Not, because you can focus on the negative and you can accentuate the negative and totally forget about the positive. Now, God's people do deal with fear, and sometimes the fear that we experience has to do with the political environment that we find ourselves in, our social environment, these sorts of things. And maybe that's one of the reasons we ought to be praying for our leaders is that we find that fear in our hearts rises up as a result of the situation we find ourselves in a lot of times. But if you look at the topic of fear in the Bible, one of the themes that pops out at you is how many times the Lord says, fear not. There's an indication in that that fallen humanity is prone to fear. And that fear oftentimes is the result of our own ignorance. We look at things too often through the carnal eye rather than through the spiritual eye. And when we do that, we're inclined to be afraid of things that we should not be afraid of. Now, clearly the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And that fear is talking about a healthy respect and understanding of God as your heavenly Father. In the same way that you would respect your own earthly Father for the instruction the love, the kindness, the provision, the discipline that He can bring into your life, the same sort of fear that a child might have of their father in that regards, much more so they should have for their heavenly father. So there is a fear that God's people are to have. There are those who are not born of the Spirit of God. They have absolutely no regard for God. They have no respect for the authority of God, the rulership of God, the rules of God the moral instruction, and they don't have fear of that. They're brazen in how they go about the things that they do. But God's people have a fear of God that is innate within them as a result of regeneration. We have a sense of that. Now, we may not always behave in a way that is consistent with that inclination, but it is there, and we're aware of it, and we ought to, right? It's the beginning of knowledge, right? If you're a born-again person, and you start finding that you're saying, well, I don't really care about what the Bible says about this or about that. I think I can get away with it. It's really not an issue. I'm not concerned. I'm not afraid of what God might bring into my life. If I just disregard His teachings, that's a very dangerous state to be in. And the Bible talks about, you know, what a dreadful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. And that passage is talking about God's people being under judgment, right? It says, the Lord shall judge His people, right? So that's something we're to be aware of. 
I want you to have that fear. I want you to foster that fear, that healthy respect for God as your father, and to use it as a way to incline you to follow the instructions you find in the Word of God. However, the fear that we are so often plagued with is of a different sort. We fear a lot of different things. I was kind of coming up with a list and thinking through what are all the different things that we fear. Physical harm. That's something that most people fear and worried about. The older you get, I remember when I was a kid, I used to fall down all the time. I didn't think anything of it. Falling off bicycles and ramps and jumps. I remember one time a buddy of mine, his dad went down and got a, an old mattress and threw it on the ground outside their house. And we would jump off the roof of that house onto a mattress. Now I'm not talking about one of these things that we got now in our houses that are about two feet thick. I'm talking about one of those that's about eight inches thick. And we're just young boys, just dumb as we could be, jumping off a house, you know, 10 feet in the air, just landing. I mean, it's insane. I can't even imagine that anymore. But we seriously used to do that because I just wasn't afraid of falling. I, I fell off my bike so many times, it just wasn't even a thing. I didn't even think falling could hurt people. The older I get, the more I think, man, I can fall. It's so easy to fall. And if I fall, I could really mess myself up. I could break a wrist or an arm or an elbow or a shoulder or a leg. There's all kinds of things that could happen. And you start being afraid of things as you get older that you really didn't think much about when you were younger. And physical harm is one of them. And our health, as you get older, you start encountering health issues, and that can make you fearful. Going to see doctors and waiting for results of things, it, these things can stir up fear in your heart. I think a lot of that has to do with a broader idea, which is just uncertainty. Like we don't know what's really going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen with your health. You don't know what's going to happen with your investments. You don't know what's going to happen with politics. You don't know what's going to happen with your civil government. All these sorts of things. That causes us to be unsettled. And when you consider the finiteness of what you actually know to be true, the things you can really bank on, it could make you think, well, I've got just cause to be fearful of uncertainty because I really am not certain about a whole lot of things, right? You don't know how your health is going to hold up. You don't know how your kids are going to be. Are they going to be safe? Am I going to make the right decisions in my career and in my family and all these sorts? There's lots of uncertainty out there. And you, as you begin to assess it, it might actually start to increase the amount of fear that you experience. But again, when we do that, we're looking at things through the carnal eye. And the Lord repeatedly comes back in the midst of this situation that we all live in. And His message to us is fear not. That's very contrary to the way your natural mind will go in certain situations. Probably the greatest fear that most people have is death. There is a fear of death. And that brings in a whole nother dimension of uncertainty. Now, if you're one of God's children, you should not have uncertainty with respect to the fact that you're going to glory, you're going to be with the Lord. But the thing that seems uncertain and maybe unsettling about that as you think about the topic of death and your own finiteness is the strangeness of it. This is literally something I've never experienced before. I don't really know what it's going to be like. And your carnal mind has a way of saying things like, well, I'm not sure I'm going to like it as much as some of the things I like right here, right? 
I've heard people complain about what they think heaven is going to be and almost speak as if they're worried that they're not going to be as happy in heaven as they are here. That is a, that's a darkened expression of your carnal heart that would say something like that. The moment that you are perfectly conformed to the image of Christ, our Savior who said, I am always about my Father's business. When you think like that, when you're in heaven and we're always about the Lord's business, you're going to be happier than you've ever been. Now, I may not be able to convince you of that today or explain to you exactly how that's going to work out. But it's true nevertheless. So we've got to lay hold of that. I want to talk a little bit about the matter of fear and how it played out in the lives of the Israelites as they were leaving the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 14 a famous story about the crossing of the Red Sea. And I want to look at this in light of the notion of being fearful about things and the Lord's statement to fear not in the midst of these things. I think sometimes God's people have a way of separating spiritual and natural things, the things of our normal day-to-day lives, and then spirituality is something that's different. And we kind of keep them separate maybe more than we should. But If you look through the Old Testament, look really through the entire Bible, what you find is these testimonies of people living through difficult temporal circumstances, real temporal challenges, and how the Lord helped them through those things. So you shouldn't bifurcate those things and separate them from one another. You should recognize that your spiritual life is played out in the context of the natural course of your life and all the challenges that you face there. Everything that you face there, it plays directly into your spiritual life. So don't separate the two. Exodus chapter 14, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pahahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, and over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Now, if you look at where some people believe this actually occurred, and it's described this way in the Bible, if you look at some of the places that are proposed on a map, you'll find that there's kind of a beach there, and there's kind of mountains on all sides. And they had kind of gone through this valley, and they're, they're kind of in this place where they're kind of pinned in. They got the ocean on one side, there's kind of one way out, and mountains all around everywhere else. And Pharaoh is looking at this through the carnal eye, and he's observing that constraint that God's people are in. He's like, once they get in that position, we've got them. They are pinned down. There's nowhere they're going to be able to go. They're not going to be able to go across the Red Sea. They're not going to be able to climb those mountains, and there's kind of one way in. So we can come in there, and and we will have our way with them. We'll just slaughter them. You know, they're pinned in. Now, that's a view of the natural eye that pretty much anyone in a typical military situation would say, yeah, that appears to be a huge strategic advantage if you were going to attack these people. And if you were in the midst of that situation, you would be inclined to agree with it, right? You're running from the greatest army on earth. They're in hot pursuit, and you've come to a place where you've got nowhere else you can go, and they're coming. And you do the math on that in your head, and just in your carnal mind, you're going to say, we're in a real pickle here. We are really in a situation. But when you do that, are you not also saying, well, I'm separating the things of my natural life from the things of my spiritual life? Yeah, I believe there's a God who can deliver, but what can He do about this? 
We're pinned down. See, I want to separate my spiritual thinking from my natural thinking. And that's not how it plays out here for the children of Israel. Pharaoh thinks he's got them pinned down here. He says, the wilderness hath shut them in. And the Lord says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So the Lord's going to place the Israelites here in a situation that seems inescapable. And for His glory, He is going to deliver His people out of this situation. There's a hardening of Pharaoh's heart here that's going to take place. You know, the hardening of heart is one of those theological points that people have discussed for many, many years. You know, it seems like, well... It seems unkind of God. Maybe it seems evil of God that He would harden Pharaoh's heart. But in a wicked world with a carnal heart where God is under no inherent obligation to prevent hardening agencies to come into the mix, it's only natural that Pharaoh's heart is going to become hardened. And if God restrains or removes some restraining providence and allows the situation to transpire... Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened just as a result of God's providence, not because God said, I'm going to force you to do evil. You see that? People say regularly that the sun and the rain, they come from the Lord. We recognize this. Sunshine comes from the Lord. We pray for weather to change from time to time. But, you know, water has a certain nature to it. And at 32 degrees it becomes hard. It turns into ice. We all recognize that. That's just a scientific principle. God is under no obligation to keep the temperature above 32 degrees, right? In His providence, He can make it sunny and bright. He can make it very cold. And if He makes it colder than 32 degrees, you will see ice begin to turn solid. You will see that ice harden. And it's simply because God has removed the providence of sunlight to a degree to where the temperature now drops and water by its own nature becomes hardened as a result of that. And in the same way, if God pulls back some of His restraining providence that would keep Pharaoh from being as bad as he could possibly be, it's only natural that his heart, just like ice, is going to become hardened when that providence is removed. And again, God is under no obligation to restrain him, though He does, and we should be thankful for that. He restrains many things in our world. Verse 5, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now see how quickly they had gone from, you remember the story, all these plagues that were put upon them to such a degree that they said, Let those people go. Let them, just let them leave. This is awful. We've gone through all these plagues. Just a short time later, now they're saying, why did we let them go, right? As soon as the discomfort is removed, it doesn't take long before they start forgetting the situation they were in. They think, we should have never let them go in the first place. Very short-sighted of them. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. Again, this is the greatest army in the world, certainly in that region at the time. And they're pursuing after these people who are not an army, you know. 
Sitting ducks is the expression that we would probably commonly use. This doesn't look good. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. There's that hardening of the heart. You see, it might be just as simple as something like this. The Lord had plagues on him that kept his heart from becoming so hard that he wouldn't let him go. So they let him go, right? A little bit of time. That's all the Lord had to let happen, maybe, to harden Pharaoh's heart. Just a little bit of time to pass, and all of a sudden he's thinking differently about it. Because his carnal heart is inclined in that direction anyway, and the moment the misery is pulled away, and a little bit of time goes by, you start forgetting about the misery. This happens in people's lives all the time, right? People who drink too much, they get hangovers. They stay up late, drinking. Next day, feel like they've been run over by a Mack truck. And you, you see it as a trope in movies and stuff like that. People get up with a hangover and they say, oh, I'm never going to drink again. Never going to do that again. I'm feeling the consequences of this terrible decision I made. I'm never going to do that again because I feel so horrible. But what has to happen in most instances? A little bit of time goes by. A little bit of time. A couple of days later, you feel better. You forget about the horrible headache you had. And in many instances in the lives of many people, it's not just a couple of days later. By the next weekend, they're right back at it again. Their heart has become hardened to the notion of the lesson they should have learned, their heart became hardened just because a little time went by and they got a little forgetful about how miserable they were and they're right back at it again. You see, it doesn't take much to harden the heart of a carnal man. The carnal heart naturally is inclined to hardening, right? And so to me, it seems as though not a whole lot more than just a little bit of time to pass where he's not feeling the acute effects of his rebellion and his heart is hardened once again. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea at Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid." And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Well, they're looking at this in temporal circumstances. And it's not said in the text here, but I wonder to what degree the Israelites' hearts have been hardened by the passage of time. You see, we can see that, and it's explicitly said of Pharaoh that his heart was hardened. But there's a hardening of the Israelites' hearts in view here as well because they have been miraculously delivered from Egypt. It's not that long ago that they were seeing plagues where the Nile River turns to blood and there's frogs everywhere and there's locusts and the death of a firstborn child and these sorts of things, these miraculous things going on right before their eyes. And now they're in a situation that requires a miraculous delivery, and yet they are sore afraid. You see that? Are they remembering? They're not remembering all the things that God has done for them in the past. I think this is where we are. When we get really fearful about some temporal circumstance, one of the main things we are forgetting is how much God has delivered us in the past. Amen. There are so many things in every one of our lives that 
I would recommend if there's a homework assignment from this sermon, spend some time this week writing down the things where I was in this situation, the Lord delivered me. This bad thing happened and it turned out way better than I thought it was going to. I thought I was going to suffer this sort of thing and this sort of thing. I thought I had this illness and the Lord delivered me. I thought I had this sickness, the Lord delivered me. The sad thing about us is that as we sit here today, we are a forgetful people. And I bet you if you really strained yourself, you might come up with a pretty significant list, but what is likely is that you probably can't come up with a tenth of the ways that the Lord has delivered you in your life. Just like the children of Israel who were delivered in this miraculous way through all these plagues, they saw these miracles being worked. It didn't take all that long before. They've just kind of totally forgotten about that and they're fearful about their immediate circumstances. They are sore afraid over it. Now, the logical way to be, and we're not always logical about this, the logical way for the Lord's people, the Israelites here to be in this circumstance is to say, you know what, praise God, we're fixing to see a miracle here. God said He's going to deliver us out of the hands of the Egyptians. We're going to see something here today. I am not afraid. Don't you remember the plagues? Don't you remember all these things that happened? Don't you remember we left with all the gold and stuff that the Egyptians gave us? Who would have ever thought that was ever going to happen? And yet we saw it with our own eyes. Now we're in this circumstance. It looks horrible. But we ought to be saying, you know what? We better get ready to worship here. The Lord is going to show us something on this day. I don't know how it's going to work out. That's part of the cool part of it. We don't really see how this is going to work out. That's what they should have been saying. But they weren't. They were sore afraid. But they did do one thing right. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Are you fearful today? Cry out unto the Lord. Seek that comfort that only He can give. And realize that He is a miracle working God. Verse 11, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Now, you got people in here, you got people crying out to the Lord, but you've also got this testimony here, which is like, look, he just brought us out here to die. This is a common testimony among the Israelites. Well, we should have just gone, we should just go back to Egypt. We had enough to eat there. Now we're going to starve to death out here in the wilderness. This is how quickly they want to return to this. And we see it again here. So they've got attitudinal problems nevertheless. Verse 12, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Losing sight of the idea that they've been miraculously delivered up to this point, and now they think, well, the natural circumstances are just beyond Anything that we could be delivered from. So here we are. We're going to die here. We're forgetful people. And the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning is what the Bible says. You should apply this to yourself. Think about how many times in your own life. Maybe it's right now at this very moment. You might be thinking of some circumstance in your life you're very concerned about. And you're worried and you're sore afraid as a result of it. It would be a tragedy if you came to this 
sermon today and heard this preached and then you went home and just went right back to worrying about all that stuff and being sore afraid about it. Especially if you're saying, well, those, those Israelites, they were just ridiculous. They just thought wrong about everything. I mean, how could they be so ridiculous? They saw all this stuff. How could they be that way? Well, to the extent that we are sore afraid in our circumstances, we are exhibiting precisely the same behavior. Every time I see the Egyptians and I think, man, they just do everything. They just do stuff wrong all the time. Try to harness that thought and turn it right back onto yourself. Okay, I see that. I've learned this lesson that that's a ridiculous way to be. Now I ask the question, how am I being that way? Because that's the lesson that's there. We are all this way. We want to think of ourselves as a uh, Joshua or a Caleb. But the truth is, maybe we're Joshua's or Caleb's every once in a while. We, we kind of get it right and hold it all together. But there were way more other of the Israelites than there were Joshua's and Caleb's. And so I think that ratio is probably about how we are with things. And I think it, it applies to us. We're not to be sore afraid in these circumstances, although your natural carnal mind would incline you to think this is a fearful situation. Verse 13, words of comfort. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not. That's a fearful circumstance. I can only imagine that when he said this, fear not, you got a whole group of people very upset about this, sore afraid, I imagine some of these people were kind of rolling their eyes and thinking, really? This guy is, is deluded. He's saying, fear not. Doesn't he realize the Egyptian army is bearing down on us? I'm sure there were some people out there that are highly skeptical of this and reluctant to receive it. Fear ye not. Well, okay, maybe he's going to give us something to do. Maybe he's got a plan. Let's hear him out. He's got a plan. He'll figure out what we're supposed to do. Fear ye not, stand still. Okay, this doesn't sound so good. Now we're going to stand still. Here they are coming. I see that dust cloud of chariots off in the distance, and they're headed this way. So your plan is fear ye not and stand still. I'm not sure I've bought into this plan yet. And see the salvation of the Lord. Now look, we all have to manage certain aspects of how we're going to get out of some situations. There are situations in your life where you are called upon to do certain things. Many times we're in fearful circumstances because we've been doing the wrong thing and now we need to change and do the right thing. And there may be some particular activity you either need to do or stop doing to get yourself back in the right here. But there are also circumstances in your life where you can be in despair simply because you don't see anything that you can do that's going to fix this situation. That can be the most fearful thing of all. I literally don't know what to do here. I've got five things I could do, and I don't see that any of them would do anything that would improve the situation. That's when you should take comfort in this part. See the salvation of the Lord. Now, it is certain that in the matter of our eternal salvation, God does it all. Salvation is of the Lord in eternity and in eternal matters. 
Christ died for His people, and they shall live in glory with Him. That's just all there is to it. That is clearly a stand still and see the salvation of the Lord situation. Eternal salvation clearly falls into that category. But this is not eternal salvation. Sometimes we talk about, well, eternal salvation is monergistic. God does it all. But in temporal things, temporal salvation requires that you do something. That's true in some instances. That's why they could say, save yourselves from this untoward generation at the day of Pentecost. There's going to be some things you need to do. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized. You need to join with the Lord's people. That was the salvation that was in view there. And it did require that people do something. So it's true that in some aspects of temporal salvation in our lives, we have to step up and do some things. But here's the situation of temporal salvation where he's saying, stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. Even in some of the temporal matters of your life, God monergistically can deliver you. He can do it on His own. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. I'm someone who I've been professionally in the realm of business planning for 20 plus years. So I tend to think in terms of contingencies, actions. These are the possible things we should do. This, If you do this, it's going to benefit in these ways. This is the downsides of that. I think in that way. It's just kind of drilled into me. That means that I'm inclined to believing that I have more control over circumstances than I actually do. I spend a lot of time doing that. And a lot of times it's just like, I just need to be delivered. And it's not that you don't think about these things. You have to do planning in your life and try to, to build contingencies and things like that. But there are circumstances and there are things and there are prayers that we should have to God where we're just saying, Lord, I'm putting this in your hands. I need to be delivered. Just like those Israelites on the shore of the Red Sea, I just need to stand back and watch as you deliver me in this circumstance. That should be our prayer at times. So it's the salvation of the Lord which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. We've had a lot of folks, even among the old Baptists in the last 20 or 30 years or so, have gotten really upset about the idea of teaching time salvation. Well, this is a clear instance of time salvation. This is a two-day salvation that occurred. And this is one where God is doing all of the deliverance here. You see that? So there are instances of time salvation where you need to be involved and you need to act. And there's others. And you see what's in verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. What are the things today that you're the most worried about? What are the things that maybe you've been pounding your head against a wall over thinking, I've tried to do this and I've tried to do that and I've tried to correct it in this way and in that way and nothing seems to work. And now I'm throwing up my hands and just saying, well, I, I just, I'm going to be saddled with it. That's just all there is to it. Well, have you considered the possibility that the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace? Maybe our prayers at times should just be, Lord, I do not know. You know. You know me and you know I've thought through this and I've tried a bunch of different things. And maybe in that I have not relied enough on a God who works miracles and can eliminate this problem. 
without any input from me whatsoever. This is why we can fear not in these circumstances. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. There's a deliverance that God has in mind here that's going to take place based on what God's going to do. And in this, he's like, just follow my instructions. Just follow my instructions. Do what I'm telling you to do here. It's going to be okay. And as often as not, that's where we are as God's people. A lot of people find themselves in personal distress, in distressing, fearful circumstances and situations. And their inclination is to stop following the Lord. I'm so troubled by this circumstance, by this situation, that I'm going to withdraw from God's people. And I'm too upset to continue to do this. And that is wrong. I think most people have experienced it to some degree. There have been times where some circumstance has made it such that you thought, I don't feel like going to church this morning. I'm just too upset about this present circumstance. But what we have to do is we have to keep moving forward. As often as not, the encouragement you need is going to be found among God's people. Not found in another week of putting off fellowship with God's people and imbibing in another seven days of watching uh, the news cycle. That's going to incline you to be more depressed and more upset. You need the encouragement of God's people. You need to continue doing the right things that you're doing in following the Lord. And that's where you're going to draw some of your encouragement and your strength. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 15. Another very popular passage. This is the Lord speaking to Abram. And this is the first thing he says to him. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. That is the overarching theme of God's message to us as His children. That overarching theme is fear not. This thing is going to be okay. I am your heavenly Father. I have control of all things. I've sent my Son to die for you. You're going to live in glory with me. Fear not. It's easy to lose sight of that. He says, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Further down in verse 5, he gives this promise. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. You see, when Abram ingested this promise of God, it meant something to him. He realizes something. I was a guy sitting in Ur, didn't have a Bible, didn't have a gospel preacher, didn't have a clue about anything going on in terms of 
what the Lord would have me to do. And the Lord came to him and said, go out of this place to a place that I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you another land. And he followed by faith. This is some three chapters earlier. This is not as confusing when you look at the Old Testament and how God is interacting with people. It's, by the way, it's what we teach. It's that God has a direct relationship with His people. That has nothing to do with anything I'm standing up here doing. It has nothing to do with gospel ministry. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It has to do with the fact that He's God and He's got His people and He finds them. They may be sitting in Ur in a pagan society selling idols on the side of the road and if he's one of God's people, he finds them, right? They may not ever hear the explicit New Testament gospel, but he finds them, right? They may be wrapped up in a Samaritan religion that's got all kinds of crazy ideas, and God says, that's one of mine. He's got the love of God in his heart. His head may be messed up. His religion may not be completely right. By the way, would you want to bet your eternal soul on the idea that all of your religious notions are completely right? I wouldn't. I'm up here trying to represent the truth to the best that I understand it, but I know I'm a fallible man and I don't ever always get everything right. My confidence is in what Jesus Christ has done for me, not in anything like that. So Abram is in this situation and God comes to him in a vision. The first thing he says is, fear not. That is the overarching theme of gospel ministry. The God's people, the first thing we should keep in mind is that while we do have a healthy fear of the Lord, we have a respect for Him as our Heavenly Father. We recognize that if we get out of line, we're going to be punished and chastised and all those sorts of things. Nevertheless, as a loving Father that loves us and finds us and encourages us, we are to live in this situation of fear not. It's going to be okay. God's going to make it okay. Now, I spoke for a minute about the fear of death, and I want to speak about that uh, a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and about verse 50. This is a fear not passage as it speaks to the matter of death. And I think death is one of the topics that people fear the most. There's a certain level of uncertainty and mystery wrapped up in the subject. But the Bible speaks about how we are not to fear it and what our proper attitude should be towards this notion of death. Verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. That means we're not going to just step into glory as we are today. And praise God for that. Most of us have bad backs. I've got a broken leg. Brother Mike's got a shoulder that's messed up. We could probably spend two hours over lunch just listing out all our ailments and all the things that are wrong with us in our flesh and blood bodies. But praise God, flesh and blood is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We're not stepping into glory as this decrepit lot that we are today. Is your body causing you trouble and pain? Is things letting you down here and there? You're seeing doctors more than you see your friends? Know this, that's all going away at some point. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We're not taking these old bodies into glory. We're going to be changed. Think about this. 
I'm talking about this, this is death it's talking about and ultimately your resurrection. If you went to your doctor, most of you have doctor appointments this coming week or in the next. If you went to your doctor and he said, you're going to be changed and you're going to be incorruptible. I have come up with a new medicine and a new technique to treat your particular ailment and when I'm done with it, you're going to be changed and incorruptible and you're going to be completely free of every ailment that is bothering you right now. You would come back in this church shouting hallelujah and telling everybody during prayer requests of what you found out from your doctor and what great news it is. The Bible tells you that's what's going to happen. Are you going to embrace that? Or you think, are you going to separate the natural life from the spiritual life? Well, that's some kind of religious thing over here. I don't really lay hold of it. But in the meanwhile, i got a decrepit body that's falling apart, and I'm really sore afraid about that. This is the truth. There ain't going to be any doctor that's going to tell you this. The truth is, we are going to be changed and we're going to be incorruptible and we're going to be raised to be with God. And all of those ailments and issues that you're dealing with right now and struggling with are gone. That is good news. And it's one we should lay hold of. Maybe we wouldn't be so fearful if we saw what was coming and we laid hold of it the way we ought. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? We may not lay hold of that as we ought right now, but we're going to be singing it in praise to God someday. It's not that far off. It won't be that long. We're going to be standing next to one another, singing praise to God in glory in glorified bodies that are free of every single one of these ailments that we have. And we won't be fearing anything anymore. You might be struggling with being sore afraid right now, but you shouldn't be because there's something that's a whole lot better coming. Fear not. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a victory in Christ that's coming that's going to eliminate all of this stuff. Everything that's weighing you down right now, every circumstance, every physical ailment, it's all going away. And that's the truth. Let me close with this. Luke chapter 12. The Lord spoke about worry, and you all know this well. It talks about, Seek not what you shall eat and what you shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of them. He was talking about worry, being afraid of things, worrying about how things are going to turn out. And there's an assurance given that it's not something we should worry about. The Lord's going to take care of His people. Seek not what you shall eat and what you shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. Verse 31, he says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're not to be fearful of where this thing is headed. I think as often as not, we think about in this world you shall have tribulation. The Lord says that. And I'm thankful that the Lord has informed us of that. But we should never divorce it from the reality that comes after it, which is that the Lord has overcome the world. 
The overarching theme of a Christian's existence should be fear not. The Lord is going to bring all of this into subjection under Him, including the notion of death and the frailties of your body. You're going to be given a new body in glory someday, and it's not that far off, and we're all going to be singing praises to God. Perhaps we would fear less if we would lay hold of that truth more in the here and now. It could be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons, preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.